Hello and welcome plant eaters and non-plant eaters alike, humans, as it were. Because that's who I'd like to speak to, is everybody. Because I've got some things to say that are very widespread, interesting, challenging to vegans and non-vegans alike. Because it will come from a place that um, is beyond any ego or ego-based thinking. And if you'd like to check out who I am to be able to say such a thing, I have another podcast, Illuminating the Disconnect, that talks about exactly that, how to get beyond the self-conscious and ego-conscious mind within the human being in order to see things as they really are. And that's where this gets interesting. Because what I'm going to talk about today is something that I pondered as soon as I had that experience in 2014 of being able to be in the world and see it and feel it without the need for another layer of opinion, that layer being human self-consciousness and just understand it without having any ulterior motive, which is what the layer of human self-conscious ego does. It adds that layer of self-interest, self-importance. And I don't think I have to try and prove the point that in general humans are of the notion that they believe they're highest on the food chain, the evolutionary chain, that we are the most incredible species because of our capacity to think, because of our um, intellectual intelligence. And there's a heck of a lot of powerful stuff to be said in favor of what we are and how we work. But, hmm, and this is a big but, it may be our biggest Achilles heel and actually also prove how we are the most disconnected species on the planet from the planet, from nature. And thus, we are disconnected from our base nature and all the things we've done over the millennia since this self-conscious mind became so strong and powerful and gave us the ability to rearrange the environment around us instead of just using it and living within it is our biggest, uh, again, challenge because there are consequences to those actions. And being able to speak to that from beyond the ego-conscious mind really will help me explain to you and put into perspective what has happened within our species and what's happening now. Just as it is. It may sound like it because this is Steve talking, but it's really not my opinion when it comes right down to it. I have no vested interest in being right or wrong or being clever. I don't have any interest in being labeled vegan as I speak these words, being plant-based in another time, in another place. Perhaps I wouldn't have been based on circumstance. That reminds me of a lyric from Live and the song Rattlesnake from their album Secret Samadhi, which goes like this. In another place, in another time, I'd be skinning hunted deer. And the context is that at the time, the lead singer Ed Kowalczyk was probably at least vegetarian. I can't remember if he actually had a phase where he called himself vegan or not. But as a someone who had studied somewhat like I did, Eastern philosophy and compassion, ahimsa, all those notions, he was just admitting that even though he may not do certain things in this lifetime, in another lifetime, he may have been completely predisposed to something else, and that wouldn't have been a bad thing, an evil thing an immoral thing, an unethical thing. And I concur, and I'll be explaining that in this episode. 
So after that experience in 2014, as I was saying, of course, I was 17 years into being uh, vegan or plant-based at that point. Well, vegan and plant-based, because both words actually apply. Um, I started applying that to my own thinking and wondering about my journey and how I had approached it from any semblance of ego before 2014 and now being able to just explain it, wondering um, what thoughts there could be about it. And so I'll give you a bit of backstory. Um, just a couple examples over and about the context that I've explained in some of my journey to here so far in the previous episodes. So a very formative thing happened to me in 1991. This is when I was going to university at the University of Guelph, starting to ponder the environment, my place in it. I had met um, someone who was my first girlfriend. She was vegetarian, um, although not a very healthy vegetarian, honestly, because her idea of being vegetarian was, you know, plants and cheese sandwiches. Um, a side effect of which is she had kidney stones a few times in the next few years, which is a natural side effect of eating that diet. But her heart was in the right place as she had started down that road for ethical reasons, being an animal lover. And there's people that are animal lovers on all ends of the scale, from vegan to full-blown carnivore. And I honestly give everyone the right to call themselves an animal lover. That can be independent of your dietary choices, independent of what you hear, or what I've heard a lot of uh, vegans say over the years. It would be nice if it's a, a more all-encompassing perspective, but it is what it is. So in 1991, with all that in mind, I was contemplating a lot of things, my own diet included, and where it might lead, and just my sense of connection to nature, which had always been quite deep and honestly quite respectful. I never went out of my way to cause any harm to anything. Like I said in a previous talk, when I went fishing, I would even if I caught a fish, I'd put it in a bucket, I'd try and keep it as long as I could without my dad, you know, actually finishing it and then, you know, doing something with it. Often the fish would escape and I would be happy about that the next day. I often named the fish after I catch, caught them. So obviously I did, didn't have a vested interest in wanting to fish and I certainly didn't need to do it for sustenance. You know, this is definitely a privileged thing in our society when we can, we can do such a thing. And even if we do consume the fish, we don't actually need to. And so... Growing up, I never harmed anything, and even if it happened, it was by um, consequence, such as my diet growing up. I was a child. I didn't know um, what, what the consequences were of everything, how the food got to my table, um, and so there's definitely a bigger picture to it than you're aware of when you're a child, and so forgiving yourself that on any level is very important later in life if you do decide to change your ethical stance on meat consumption and animal consumption. So back in 1991, a group of us went to see the movie Dances with Wolves. And you may be wondering, what the hell could this have to do with him talking about veganism? Well, while watching the movie, a lot of things came together for me. As someone with a deep respect for nature, also for First Nations culture uh, up to that point, which I could talk about in depth, but I won't um, need to go into here or quite yet. I just have such a deep sympathy for any one 
who hasn't been treated compassionately, anyone who's been marginalized. That goes to a single from a single animal to a culture. First Nations culture, Aboriginal cultures over throughout history being prime examples. You know, anyone that's been enslaved, those to me are all horrific things. And I will always, my sympathies will lie there innately. And so watching the movie brought up deep emotions a few times. During the movie, I could picture myself living in that time because it was so simple. And there were fewer people. And this isn't a I hate humans thing because I don't. There were just fewer people, which always makes things more simple because you know who's around you and who's around you knows you. And it gives you an innate sense of accountability and responsibility. And they lived off the land and the land included animals, the hunt, all that. And so during the movie, I, I, I remember finding it very interesting because I was somewhat conflicted because I was, I was reading all this stuff about animal rights and we should never mistreat animals. And yet I'm watching a movie about a time in the past, but I'm watching it now and I'm trying to apply some thoughts to it. And I had realized I had to suspend my thoughts in order to be accurate and to look at it through the perspective of that time, the lens of that time. And by the end of the movie, I could have pictured myself living in that time and being okay with living off the land because it was for survival. You know, that would have trumped being self-labeled vegan back in the 16, 17, 1800s and before. You know, when there was a lifestyle that existed before the white man even came to do anything uh, on the land. But the other thing that came up, there's two other things that came up. And the other one was the complete lack of disrespect that people coming in to North America from outside of it had for the existing cultures. It uh, bothered me to no end that in the movie they kept just having to move further and further away for their protection without having actually done anything. But what also really irritated me was the fact that the people coming in didn't ask. They didn't cooperate. They didn't try and commune with them. They didn't try and learn anything from the existing culture as if the existing culture had nothing to learn. And that is nothing but ego coming into a situation with that perspective. And I'm sure you can relate to times in your life when you thought you were so right that you just didn't even listen to another perspective or, or look at a situation and analyze it and try and quiet your mind and go deeper, whether you were going to change your mind or not. And so the, the frustration I felt watching the movie and at the end was so great that after the movie, we walked out of the theater and I was with a group of people and everyone was like, well, what'd you think of the movie and all this kind of stuff. And it was some pretty good, good, good talk about it. But I actually was so emotional and choked up that I couldn't speak about it. One, I didn't think I'd really be understood because my perspective was pretty deep and pretty far-ranging. And I wasn't looking for any sympathy or anything, but I was actually disgusted with myself and I felt guilty by association of the color of my skin now for having been involved in some way with that happening. And that's, to me, a very honest, open human reaction, irregardless of skin color. There isn't a way to associate that that's valid because there had, there was and is a certain mindset about conquering that has always been, and again, that's an ego-based concept. Ego wants to conquer. And this is what it gets down to. Ego 
conquers the heart. It doesn't let the heart speak. It doesn't let compassion or empathy lead the conversation. Now, I'm wrapping this all together now as I talk to you. I couldn't have put that into words back in 1991, or honestly, any time up until 2014, this thoroughly. But now I know how I felt and why I felt that way, and how some of the feelings were very honest, and they had nothing to do with diet, but they had to do with morality, but a deeper morality than any ethic that could be attached to veganism. And that was a very life-changing experience in its own way because it began me really pondering things and it did lead me down the road of, well, okay, if I understand that I could have been there in that time and I'm okay with that, well, I'm not in that time. So I started reframing it from a more rational perspective. I live here, I live now. We don't need to hunt anymore. We farm most of our food, whether it's animals or plants. And I don't need to be associated with that, so I started evolving towards a more strict vegetarianism and eventually 1997 vegan all the way. Because that's the logical conclusion to realizing that you want to be compassionate. What's the most efficient way to do that? Which is efficiency really in this context really just means compassion, means love. You know, no collateral damage where there doesn't have to be any. And that is the, the logical conclusion, as I was saying. Even though it took years to get there, and that's part of what I want to relay is that sometimes this is a process to get there. And so when I reframed all this in a modern context, it made it very easy to understand that I could have been that person back then, but I'm this person now. I'm in a world with a lot of industry, a lot of agriculture, a lot of resources, you can be plant-based anywhere on the planet, pretty much. Now, we have put ourselves in some pretty bizarre places on the planet as humans because of our powerful self-conscious mind, and we defend our right to be there with our ego. And so because we do that, we then set up systems and structures to make it happen. You know, we transport food all around the planet. Am I thankful I can have bananas and mangoes, even though I try and keep those a little lower down on my my food choices because they do have consequences to the environment to shipping things without me being able to you know say definitively one way or the other that i'm being better or worse i try and keep an eye on those things and yet still forgive myself that i live right now and i can't control absolutely everything about all those choices at this point either where things come from or the consequence of my actions afterwards so I try and keep it simple. I do remember those days when people were closer to nature and go, okay, so how can I do that within the context of how I'm living now? And that thinking and that evolution led me to a breakthrough in 2014 with my own self-consciousness and my own consciousness being able to understand it in a simple way from beyond myself. And that, in turn, led me to re-examine on a deeper level the idea of veganism, the idea of diet, lifestyle, how we live on the planet, what's most efficient, what is compassionate. And so in that vein, one of the more important books I'm writing is going to be called Egotistical Carnivores. And it's going to be a book about the evolution of natural human 
biology, diet, and lifestyle choices. Because if we look at our closest living ancestors, they are very highly plant-based. Um, you can look up statistics. I've done it in the past, of course. I've looked up a lot of stuff in the past, folks. So I may not quote things exactly, but I've got a lot of experience in this area, and I've certainly contemplated and reflected on it all. And so if we evolved from that, then there's a very high percent chance that our biology is predisposed to that as well. And I won't get into the arguments, but overall, I have no reason at this point to doubt from all the research I've done that we can be classified as herbivores for sure. Frugivores quite accurately, especially if we evolved from the tropics and we evolved in a place where our food was readily available all around us. We didn't have to go look for it, hunt for it. It was just there. And there is such a place on Earth. The tropics do exist that produce so much food naturally without us even farming it that it could feed a lot of people. Now, 8 billion people? Probably not. And this is where the story gets interesting. Because if that's our natural predisposition, oh, I don't want to add to that, we are also very likely opportunistic omnivores, meaning we can eat insects, meat, and that's been proven. We're here. A lot of people eat meat, and we're here. But how did we get to that phase? Was it a natural progression? And this is where it gets tricky, because I reckon and, and speak in my other podcast about the evolution of this powerful self-conscious mind inside of us having been a natural phenomenon. It's evolution. It was just inside our mind as opposed to a physical one, whereby we had the capacity at some point in our past to be able to use the environment around us by creating things, creating tools, creating shelter, creating transportation, and solving problems without um, anything but our mind. And then taking action based on new thoughts, connecting information inside of our brain. And to me, that's insanely fascinating, knowing what we are and how we work, how we evolved. But the tie-in now is, where has that led us as far as our health and our diet goes all around the planet? And I think there's a, a very strong case to be made for the fact that it's only through that mind the human self-conscious mind, and the ego, which goes along with it. They go hand in hand always, even though the ego part doesn't have to be a big part or um, the biggest focus. It's always there because we're proud of ourselves as a species for being able to figure all these things out. We just are. Because it was tied at some point to our survival, and that makes it um, a very easy thing to contemplate and to attest to as a fact. But just because it happened once doesn't mean it has to continue. And as you will hear me speak about our base consciousness and our base biology, our base capacities are still there. And just because we've engaged other ones doesn't mean they have to continue. They tend to continue just because they're already working on some level and we don't question the bigger picture. That's how we've come to a place where we do live all over the planet. We have a variety of diets. And it all works on some level, but there's a lot of collateral damage. The collateral damage being disease within ourselves and dis-ease within the environment around us, which we farm and which we take from. 
more than we actually need. And that's a very egotistical proposition. The fact that we think that we value ourselves over other life to the point where we are entitled to take what we need first. And that's where the whole idea of egotistical carnivores is born. Because we are a species that eats meat, but we're also, as science is proving, a species that's capable of not eating any. Uh, yours truly being a decent example after 24 years, still not lacking for protein, for energy, for healing, for overall health, having no chronic health conditions at the age of 54, other than those that um, the health system itself created, being when I was younger, I had a very poor diet, high in sugar, high in processed foods, all things approved by the government, same people that approve the medications, I might add, and having a mouthful of amalgam fillings full of mercury, which again, approved by health authorities, but now which we know have deadly health consequences for some people. Lucky for me, it's just um, a moderate toxicity that I'm taking care of, but it has impacted my health my whole life. And the last few years have been pretty rough on some days. But I'm still grateful because I've done enough work on all the other stuff to be clear and to be growing healthier and stronger all the time. Because I reckon I've got a lot of time left here and the best way to do that is to be healthy and to experience it. So I'm going to be speaking about this and documenting it in the book with the notion that Ever since we were able to use our self-conscious mind and our subsequent entitled ego to move all around the planet, we've had to adapt our diet to suit. You can't grow plants in abundance everywhere. You can't store the food through winter everywhere. So it has actually enabled us to have to eat meat in certain occasions. And so we have hunted in the past. There have been cultures that have survived very high on meat diets. And I'm not here to judge that, good or bad. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to point out the fact of what is, what has been, and connect what our foundational being is within it. And perhaps a return to something more optimal, because we're still heading towards more optimal, despite what the last few hundred years will tell you regarding science, because there's been a commensurate increase in disease, especially mental health disorders in the human species in the last 200 years, at the same time as we pat ourselves on the back for being successful human beings, for living to what we're, what we're saying is an overall higher age. Life expectancy is higher than it's ever been. And that's something that can be talked about a lot from a deeper perspective as well. Because while that may look like it's true on paper, there's lots of reasons why it wasn't in the past, and there's no reason to believe that people didn't live to be 90, 100, 120 years of age throughout human history. There's no reason to believe that hasn't been a truth. There's just been other reasons why we would have not made it as far. We have created a very stable environment for ourselves, even within the realm of having so much disease. People live to be 60, 70, 80, 90, and the medications they're on which they have to take as a result of the poor food system and lifestyles they live, enable that to happen. So, you see, everything's connected all the time. I'd prefer to be someone who doesn't need any of that, doesn't completely, I'm not shunning science at all, or agriculture, the food system. I'm just trying to understand it 
as it really is and what the consequences are. But like I may have mentioned previously, my bucket list consists of one item, and that is to die of natural causes. Because I prefer to try and live from natural causes, meaning live the way my biology always was meant to. How do I decrease resistance? By eating a whole food diet. And I will freely admit that within that realm, there's the possibility and the option for meat consumption, because there always was. We are very adaptable organisms, and a lot of humanity throughout history and up to current day has adapted to being able to eat some meat with some negative consequences, but sometimes not a lot. Because when you do something consistently, when you eat something consistently, generally speaking, your body tries to adapt. It's always trying to help you. The microflora of your gut bacteria is always changing. Whatever you eat, you adapt to. Doesn't mean there's no consequences. There's just less consequences when you eat plants. And that's, again, proven in study after study. So life expectancy might go down. A lot of Aboriginal cultures in the past perhaps didn't live as long because of of meat consumption. And that's true if you look at certain studies regarding uh, the Inuit. But what was the quality of life? Perhaps the quality of life was better because it was communal, because people were living with respect for the land because they knew they needed it for their survival. And we've certainly lost touch with that. Vegan or non-vegan alike, humans have lost touch with that. And yet that's where the good stuff is, is in actually understanding and honoring and respecting and loving your life and the life around you and then taking only what you need with the certainty and the trust that it's what's good for you. Because that's one thing I've never had to doubt for the last 24 years. You know, if anyone has come up with an argument or a proposition for me regarding whether or not I should make a change, either for some something I'm lacking in my diet or to heal myself, I'm, I am very open-minded. I will listen to anything and everything, and I have. I always investigate opposite points of view to the one I'm holding so that I can understand the one I'm holding and also sink into feeling, is it still valid? And that's been very interesting in the last 10 years with the rise of the trendy vegan. And whatnot. So people who are vegan and they honestly don't even understand why from an ethical perspective. Whereas in 1997 when I switched, it was 100% for ethics. I was ready to perish, to wither away. Knowing in the back of my mind that isn't going to happen. It's pretty easy to just get food and eat enough of it. I had a lot to learn, but I wasn't scared. I was more scared for my heart, my, um, my sensitivity with being in the world and knowing what I could and couldn't do and knowing what that it wasn't necessary. And that's always been something that's been deep within me is not doing things that aren't necessary. So along those lines, I'd like to give you an example that I had pondered for years. And it's one that I'm sure a lot of vegans think about is, you know, what if the whole, the old what if situation, what if I was stranded somewhere and I actually had no access to plants? There was no nothing nearby, but there was an animal, something nearby. There was the ability to go in the ocean and, and catch something, and there was no seaweed floating around. And this is, this is a what-if scenario that I actually think did some good.
because it could happen. Um, I believe it's quite rare that you couldn't find something other than than uh, animals to eat anywhere on the planet. But what would happen? And this is where removing the ego from things shows us who and what we really are. And I will freely admit that while I am staunchly vegan, 100%, haven't violated my rule in 24 years, and there's been no need to, if I was in a situation like that, the word vegan kind of fades away because it is then being had, held as an ideology, as uh, a moral superiority. Every life form on this planet has a right to survive. And I would try my hardest. I would probably fast for a few days. I would drink more water if there was water accessible. I would do everything I could to push it off until there was a chance, you know, to be for that situation to be changed, to find transportation, to be rescued, whatever the case may be. But honestly, if I needed to survive, I would do whatever it would take to survive. And I would do it as compassionately as I could. I would respect it. I would honor it. And say that did happen. And I had to survive for a week eating something. Um, see, yeah, eating whatever animal I needed to that was around. You know, as soon as I was out of that situation and returned to, you know, what could be the regular world where food is easily accessible and I have choices, you could say I'd be vegan again. And that that instance didn't make me not vegan. It just made me human. And I would be fully aware of that, but also able to embrace the vegan label again after that. Because I would have no intention to ever harm an animal. Never did. So what I'm trying to say in conclusion here is that we're in a world now where we've made industry of everything. Animals and plants alike. And there's accountability on both levels. Because even farming plants isn't done in a compassionate, humane way all the time. And monoculture cropping has huge effects on the environment. Huge effects. It's all connected. In some essence, no one on this planet is truly vegan because we can't control everything that is is um, collateral damage. Any death that happens from microbes up to other animals. We just can't control it all. And yet we live in a world where we do have access to everything. In fact, you know, the, the amount of plant material that's fed to animals to then feed humans can feed the world a few times over. And that's been proven over and over again because we kill something like 80 billion animals a year through farming. And yes, we're all responsible for that. The irony is it's not even good for our health especially the way things are farmed these days with chemicals, antibiotics, which they have to be that way because it's not natural for animals to be in that situation. And there's the ethical rabbit hole there is, you know, if you know that that's being done and you can live with that, I don't think you've really uh, contemplated the value of life, the value of your own life, and the value of the life of another life form that you honestly don't need to survive. And so in this world where we have access to so much through our powerful mind, to farming, we can farm better through permaculture, we can grow our own gardens, we can eat less than we do. That's even a starting point. My God, in the Western world, most of us just plain eat too much. We eat at the wrong times of day. We eat too late into the night. 
Like there's some little patterns that we could change that match our natural biology that would reduce food consumption and animal consumption instantaneously, you know? And I might get into those at some point, but the relevant point for me to put forth to contemplate today is to ponder where you are in your life on the scale of consumption. And even if you're, you're already vegan or plant-based, what are you doing that's not necessary? How can you simplify it and feel better on all levels? Feel better in your spirit. Feel better in your body because your body is more well-nourished. And feel better in your mind for being at peace with uh, having made a decision that you can live with today and tomorrow. It's going to be very interesting because I know I'm going to end up having a lot of talks about this because I'm open to talking to everybody. And this is a new concept. It's deeper than anything I've heard before, even from, you know, philosopher, animal rights activists and um, everyday vegans, everyday plant-based people. And the, the other extreme, the uh, new, um, what would you call it? Like like the, the veganism, when it started arising 15 years ago and everyone was kind of like, oh, wow, this is going to take over. Well, whatever what happens whenever that happens is usually a pushback. And the pushback would be, well, if you can go full vegan, we can go full carnivore. And so, of course, there's people out there doing that. I think partially to prove it, partially to have the ego about it, but partially to show that it can work. There may be consequences. We have to wait and see because it's going to take some time to tell. Um... And I don't wish anybody ill, but I do hope that people, whatever they're doing, respect the land, respect nature, respect whole food, and respect being compassionate in how that food gets to you, irregardless of what it is. So, egotistical carnivores. I reckon that's exactly what we are now. Only because we can think our way to being carnivores. If we were just left to our own devices on the land without any knowledge that we can eat meat i don't think we would try and do that as a first instinct so i'll leave it there see what you think if you have any questions you can email steve at illuminating leave a comment and if you want to support me so i can publish this book amongst many others um i would truly appreciate that because all the work i am doing now and will do will be free freely available but, of course, we live in a world where things cost, including me eating my simple plant-based diet and paying my small amount of rent to live in a small space in this world, which is all I have, which is all I actually ever want. I have everything I need. So I'm not looking to um, make a ton of money. If I do, I'm just going to help people with it. So there. And you can uh, contact me if you'd like to make a donation. And there will be a small... Uh, clip at the end here just to tell you direct you to places where you can uh, do that as well i appreciate it as well as your time and attention take care hello fellow humans and thanks for listening i really appreciate it um ever since i got this thing started which was years in the making i've been excited about uh, doing this and only this it's what gives me the most pleasure in life is helping others help themselves and it's actually what i know the best despite all the other things I've studied for and uh, have had as careers, as experiences, as hobbies, as connections with life, this is it. 
So to that end, if you'd like to experience, if you'd like to support a very simple human doing this, it doesn't take much for me to survive, and anything over and above that that I ever make from this will always go back into helping others directly. And you can support me by finding me on Red Circle Podcasts, which may be where you're listening. Uh, There's donating information there. I also have an account with something called LibraPay, where you can find me as Steve Alat, or you can send uh, a donation through PayPal, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. If any of those aren't sufficient or fail, send me an email. Again, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. We can figure something out. And uh, thanks for listening. I really, really hope it helps. And if it does, do send me a message. Thanks for your support.